0: writing the book of course i now find myself getting letters from people around the world talking about their experiences and one of them turns out to be a medium in england and i'm not going to give the name because i don't want to spoil this story because i'm still exploring it who is who is able to materialize human hands wow actually the, the human hand can be act, seen and felt and it's warm it's got hair on the back of it and it's proceeds out of the person's medium side and then disappears again,
1: just like melts. Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Tonight, oh man, have we got a special guest for you. Peter Ackroyd joins us. Seances. It's 1929. Four black cars arrive at a secluded farmhouse just 20 miles north of Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Now the porch door swings open and a tall man dressed impeccably greets them with a warm smile and motions them inside out of the blowing dust. All are decked out in their quote-unquote Sunday bests, looking more like they will be attending Sunday morning church service than what will be unveiled inside. Once inside, the curtains are drawn closed, not only preventing the last remaining minutes of light from entering, but perhaps also any prying eyes that may be around as well. They are at once emerged in the darkness and the closing silence. They dutifully take their seats around a table, strategically placed in the center of the room. Now, a single candle in the center of the table is lit, revealing serious focus faces full of anticipation of the mysteries, or, perhaps more accurately, expectations of the mysteries soon to be revealed. hidden in the shadows, peering in on the scene, is a young boy of nine. What he would witness here would go on to bring both revelations and inspirations that would culminate in a groundbreaking, award-winning Hollywood feature film. That young boy's name is Peter Ackroyd. Ackroyd, you say. That's right, folks. The stories he bore witness to would go on to inspire his son, our own Canadian icon, Dan Aykroyd. And that award-winning Hollywood feature film? Well, that's none other than, who you going to call, Ghostbusters. Tonight on Night Fright, it's Peter Aykroyd and his book, A History of Ghosts, the True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. It's gonna be a wild one, folks. Strap in and hang on. Here we go.
2: There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. And now your
1: host, Brent Holland. we're going to jump to it right away. We've got a lot of great things to cover tonight. Peter Aykroyd is our guest on the phone live from California. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show.
3: Yes, thank you, Brent.
1: You're very welcome, my friend. How are you this evening?
0: Well, I'm 100% capital. Thank you.
1: That's great. Folks, just to let you know, Peter has been kind enough to give us a book as a free giveaway, a history of ghosts, the true story of seances, mediums, ghosts, and ghostbusters. First person through with an email to nightfrightshow at gmail dot com. Nightfrightshow at gmail dot com gets the book. There you go. Peter, can we start off? Here you are, nine years old. Were you afraid when you were watching these seances going on in Doctor A's kitchen?
0: Not at all. No, it was just part of the family. Uh activity and it was quite a natural thing um i just grew up hearing about these things and we had with us uh, as part of the family a full trance medium who was able to go into a trance and then the spirits would speak through him at uh, at these seances and um, as a young boy i just um, was just uh, part of the routine and um, gave me a a sense that i was um, in touch with something greater than myself and It wasn't actually a religious kind of connotation, but, um, I don't know, more intellectual, if you will. So the answer, no, I wasn't at all frightened at all.
1: None at all. Okay. You know, at nine years old, um, I don't know if I was thinking so much in ghosts. I think I was still in fantasy world. Were you able to discern between the two that, indeed, this was not a movie, not a radio show at the time or anything like that? You were able to say, okay, this is my, my grandfather sitting here, and this is as normal as when we go out in the fields?
0: That's right. That's about right. You cut up property, yes. Okay. My grandfather was a... I would call him a foot soldier in the spiritualism movement. That was a movement that uh, started in uh, northern New York State and uh, um, spread to Canada and then to England and was um, the original title of the book, the working title of the book was mm-hmm. Spiritualism-150 Years um, because it was a re- uh, survey, and in fact it is a survey of um, of this movement over the course of all those generations. And um, the publisher who bought the manuscript said, (laughs) You're going to have the word ghost in the title, so you can't call it that. (laughs) So they gave it the title, A History of Ghosts. And it's a bit of a misnomer in the sense that it's not a history of ghosts uh, exactly. It's more or less a history of spiritualism and my experience with it and all the sidebar interests that have developed because of that. So it's really a. It's really a scholarly work. It's not a, not a trivial work. It's a work of scholarship. Took me six years to write it. All the research, um, uh, very, very well done. Um, I have, um, academic training. I have a degree in Bachelor of Applied Science. And so I approached the whole thing as a scientist would and uh, quite seriously. So it's a darn good book and uh, will stand up for a long time. Uh, as a kind of a great, great review of the whole subject area.
1: I agree. It is meticulously researched. Folks, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Peter Aykroyd. He's the father of Dan Aykroyd, if that name sounds familiar. He's got a terrific book out called A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Readily available, by the way, at Chapters Indigo right across the country. I was in Chapters today, actually, and uh, there it was right there, predominant on the shelves. Also, an easy way to get it if you don't want to go out, it's www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the book cover as usual. That'll take you right to chapters and go online where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. It really, truly is a great history of spiritualism. And there's some incredible quotes in here, and uh, I'm just turning to the page of one now. Well, let's talk about spirituality right away versus religion. I was wondering uh, if we could discuss this from your perspective. You were raised a Christian, and a lot of people are going to say, well, spiritualism seances, that's invoking the devil. Huh. And nothing further from the truth. It's not true. Obviously, the two coexist together and are in fact one. I was wondering if you could exp- explain it from your perspective, how the two are in fact one.
0: Well, let's first of all start with the word spiritual. One um, commonplace in, um, parlance one says, so and so is spiritual, which means that that person is perceived as having a, a concentration in their life and in their thought and in their behavior uh, more of um, an um, um, ethereal uh, um, um, characteristic than mm-hmm. material characteristic and so that so-and-so is spiritual. Now, spiritualism is a misnomer because it doesn't really relate to the spiritual in that sense and it's probably spiritism would be a proper word for it, because it's um, the heart of it is, and Conan Doyle, and uh, his History of Spiritualism, um, the book, which is a very good reference book on the subject, um, um, inclu- includes in his, in his um, definition of spiritualism uh, the, the belief that it's possible to communicate with the dead, with those who have passed, with those who are in an afterlife. And... Um, and they are, they are spirits and so spiritism um, is the communicating with the spirits uh, and um, um, a fellow named Alain Kardec in France mm-hmm. was, was the one that differentiated between spiritualism and spiritism and he migrated to Brazil and in Brazil, it's very active in Brazil now and it's called spiritism, not spiritualism and they have these um, some um, universities there that offer courses in the whole subject of the paranormal, psychic phenomenon, and spiritism. And it's um, 15 credits over a three-year period, and you get a bachelor's degree in, <laughs> in psychic phenomenon. And um, it's interesting that they have to go to Brazil for that, and of course the lectures would be in Portuguese, <laughs> but there it
1: is. <laughs> How do you feel, Peter? How have mediums changed from those days of your grandfather dan's great-grandfather to today do you feel there's more charlatanism going on today than there was perhaps then people were more authentic then
0: well you've got uh, a number of um, aspects of this first of all there are spiritualist churches and uh, quite a number of them in the world actually um, and um, but the spiritualist churches have a minister that is the person who presides who are basically channelers now the channelers of today are the seance mediums of yesterday Mm -hmm. channelers are ones who um, perceive um, by the gift that's been given to them um, the kind of thought pattern of persons who are the subjects uh, that they may be um, giving a reading for and um, um, and consequently the it's not—it's not the direct voice that you hear through a,
3: mm-hmm. through a
0: trans medium like I used to hear. It's more an interpretation of, of, of a person who has a gift for this. Now, some of the channelers are very gifted people. And uh, Lilydale, New York, is the summer camp for spiritualists and has been for years. My grandfather went there, and uh, I went there, and um, there are 28 residents channelers but they call themselves mediums it's interesting you all know, the little houses there on the street says mm-hmm. so-and-so medium they don't see channelers so they call themselves mediums although they are channelers so that's a differentiation there between mediums of uh, uh, my generation and the channelers and it's very hard to find a trans medium today in fact i never have been able to find one now, this phenomenon about the direct voice. Now, were you able to get... Um, yes, sir. Secretary Kim put you under that?
1: Yes, I was able to, and it is stunning, folks.
0: Can I explain the difference now between... Sure,
1: you? please go ahead, and I'll set Walter, it up afterwards.
0: We had Walter Ashurst. Um, he would go into a trance, and then spirits would speak through him. They'd be minds, I call them minds without bodies. And there were two, there were three controls that controlled uh, the activities, like the gatekeepers as to who came through him and who didn't. And one was Lee Long, and he was Chinese. And the other was Blue Light, and he was an, an Egyptian, that is to say, he was in his uh, former life. And the other was Mike, who was an, an Irishman. And um, and they would control who came came through, and spoke. But then the other phenomenon is what's known as direct direct voice, and that's where. Is a seance, and, and 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 has to be a medium who's got a gift. But the voice is not does not come through the medium. It's sort of off there in outer space, up up to the to the right, eighteen feet, <laughs> and um and there was a used to be a trumpet associated with this. Now the trumpet is very very light, made of aluminum. Um, I have a, a rec- replica of one of them, and it used to levitate during a seance, and the voice. Would appear to come from the bell of the trumpet. And there's not a valve trumpet, it was just a, just a simple 36 inch long, what what you would call a herald trumpet, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But this direct, and then the direct voice um, mediums are really quite rare, but there was one Leslie Flint in England who had this great, great gift of being able to sit on a stage and they would, they would actually Deep his mouth so that voice couldn't be attributed to ventriloquy and of course one can say that it'd be easy to rig it up by remote and have some sound come in from some amplifier somewhere but I think that he was tested often enough to prove that there was no other source except this extraordinary phenomenon of the spirit world communicating and maybe you'd
1: like to... Sure, I'd be happy it. to.
0: And, and tell me what you felt, what, what came led you to, Brett.
1: Well, then I'll tell you that afterwards. I'm going to play this for the folks that are listening right now. Folks, if you're just joining us, Peter Ackroyd is our guest tonight. He's on the phone all the way from California. His book, of course, A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters, readily available at chapters and to go right across the country.
2: You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time
1: is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Leslie Flint, as Peter was just telling us, incredible man. He um he was able to manifest, as Peter just said, alluded to, a special gift that was given to him in order to bring spirits from the other side, allowing them to talk through through Leslie. Now, I was able to get a copy of one of these particular seances, and uh, many of you may be familiar with the name Maurice Chevalier. Maurice Chevalier was a singer-actor, well, I guess in the 30s, the 40s. Um, I'm of that vintage where I can remember him, although it's, it's kind of a blitter for me. But certainly he was a very famous uh, actor, singer and uh, he was channeling him one day and as a matter of fact peter has copies of these tapes and that's why i asked specifically if i could get some copies of them to play for you so what i'm going to do right now is i'm going to play that for you this is of morris value, but before i do that just to uh let you know what exactly morris is saying um i've also written down the text so i'm going to read this to you folks first and then i will play the clip so this is Maurice Chevalier speaking. You know when I first come and try and talk with you, I did not know where I was. Some people don't even know when they are dead. The people come and say, don't worry. You leave behind the material things, huh? We look after you. You will be all right. When I get good at this, I will become a very good communicator, as he says. I like the way he rolls his ours. I would like Very much to sing for you, but not for the moment, but one day I come and sing. Louise, do you know Louise? Now, Louise, folks, when he mentions that, is a very famous song he sang. Madam, she knows. A woman would know. Then they ask him to sing, and he says, ah, it was a long time ago. He kind of gets out of it by not singing. Sometimes I sing. Sometimes with other friends, I go to those feasts. And we help people who are not very happy. They live in darkness. Sometimes we help them. Sometimes I can sing, and they recognize me. Anyway, I must go au revoir. And I'm going to play that for you right now. This is being channeled through a fellow by the name of Leslie Flint. I think it was around 1972, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Here we go.
4: You know, when I first come and try and talk with you, I did not know where I was. Some people don't even know when they are dead. Uh, And then people come and say, don't worry. You leave behind the material things, huh? We look after you, you will be all right. Oh, yes. But I get good at this. I will become a big good communicator. I'd like for me to see to sing for you, but not for the moment. But one day I'll and sing. Appreciate that. Louise. You know it? Louise. Louise? So, Louis. yes. Yes. The song, Louise. Yes.
2: Madame, she knows.
4: Sir. Yes. 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 She's Why
2: like, did you sing it
4: for us? A woman would know. It's it's it was Maurice song. song. Ah. He's a long time ago. Oh, not that long. you no, very well remembered. Sometimes I sing, sometimes with other friends, I go to those feasts. And we help people who are not very happy, they live in darkness. Sometimes we help them, sometimes I can sing and they recognize me. Anyway, I must go. Au revoir. Au, revoir. Au revoir.
1: And that was Maurice Chevalier being channeled through a fellow by the name of Leslie Flint. Unfortunately, Leslie Flint is no longer with us. He passed away in April 1994. And Peter had asked me what my reaction was when I heard it. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, I get sent, as fans of this show know, I get sent EVPs all the time, electronic voice phenomenon. They're nowhere as near as clear as this. Now, it's a different mechanism involved. But this is the real deal. I mean, this is... This is incredible that a fellow like this, Leslie Flint, would have this gift, this special gift, in order to communicate, allow people from the other side to communicate with us and back and forth and back and forth. It's almost like a telephone. Phenomenal. What did you think, Peter, when you heard it?
0: Well, you see, the the interesting thing about this Leslie Flint is uh, there's a continuing idea, either a foundation or a corporation or something, um, but it 's possible for anybody to actually send uh, x dollars they're not expensive and get one of the tapes for themselves and they have um, he has um, they have available um, Churchill and the Bronte sisters, one of the brontes. Mm-hmm and uh, i got both churchill and the brontes and i was playing the churchill tape one day in my office my mother my, my wife my wife comes in and says <laughs> you got churchill talking what how come and um it's really extraordinary to think that those tapes are available to the public and um actually you can, you can google leslie Flint. And, and follow the links and, pro- and probably get get one for yourself. So uh, that's really, really, really
1: remarkable. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Now, why do you feel they would want to communicate with us on this side? Are they bringing us a message? Are they trying to tell us, warn us perhaps, um, such as... I, I
0: don't know what the motivation is, except mm-hmm. it's, it's just, just to me, one must think of the invisible world. The, the, we don't stop really to think. The invisible world that surrounds us is absolutely full of messages of all kinds. All you've got to think of the radio signals, television signals, uh, cell phone signals. You can't see them. You, wherever you are listening to this right now, you kind of look around the room. You don't see any of these, but they're there. And you've got to have an instrument to pick up the um, the, the vibrations in order to hear, hear what they're saying. And also, uh, when you continue to deal, as we have done over the years with... Uh, the spirit world and seances and minds of those bodies and an understanding of the paranormal and psychic phenomenon of various kinds, it's quite quite conceivable to consider that there are spirits, minds of those bodies right there, right there in our presence and happy to come and, and talk to us for, for whatever the motivation might be. And this is, this is really the stuff of well, spiritualism and the stuff of
1: seances. Absolutely. Folks, our guest today, Peter Ackroyd, his book, A History of Ghosts. Now, in the book, also, there's some phenomenal pictures, absolutely phenomenal pictures of ectoplasma. I'm just flipping the pages here. There was a, a photograph of the medium Mary Marshall, and she's got this white, it looks like a gauze coming out of her nose and also her mouth. And this is phenomenal. I was wondering, Peter, if you could tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yes. Well, ectoplasm is a well-established. Um, well, I call it the theory of ectoplasm, or the reality of ectoplasm is mm-hmm. well established in research circles. And one must, one must um, go back almost half a century to Europe, when the number of the scientists today—Conan Doyle being one of them, and Shrink Lotzing being another, and William Crooks being another—they were scientists who were fascinated by the phenomenon that we're discussing, and uh, had mediums that they they used uh, kind of almost in a laboratory sense uh, to test them and test their powers. And uh, they discovered that some of them are capable of producing this ectoplasm. Now, ectoplasm is a substance uh, that um, proceeds from the orifices of the medium and eventually forms into human form. And that's called materialization. And this Mary Marshall was a medium in Winnipeg. And there's a the doctor. um
1: uh, his name? What was his name? Oh, Gary. um Was it Gary? Oh man, I just had this. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, ben Hamilton. Thank you,
0: Ben Hamilton. Now Ben Hamilton, I uh, became interested in all of these things, and he was. He was a practicing physician and president, mind you, of the Manitoba Medical Association. Mm -hmm. Somebody with impeccable um, credentials, credentials. yeah. And and he had this Mary Marshall, and he and they and they were able to produce human materialized forms. My grandfather Samuel remembered often. He just he just pined to go to Winnipeg because he was a contemporary of Glenn Hamiltons, and he said this is one place in Canada where it's possible to see a materialization. (laughs) And he always wanted to get there, but he never did. And consequently, when I started reading about Van Hammond, it kind of made me, give me a warm feeling to realize, you know, I was now reading about the man that Dr. Sam, Dr. Ackroyd was so anxious mm-hmm. to, to visit. Uh, in the book, of course, mm-hmm. I, I deal with the great materializing mediums that um, history has brought to us, including Eusepia Palladino, who was a female from Naples. She produced full forms of human beings. And actually, um, they could be tested, and they had circulation of the blood, and uh, and all, all of the things that characterize a live, a, a bio, a mm-hmm. bio, mm-hmm. person, a biological person. To me, that's one of the greatest phenomena that there is. And after reading this book, and get this now, writing the book, of course, I now find myself getting letters from people around the world talking about their experiences and one of them turns out to be a medium in england and i'm not going to give the name because i don't want to spoil this story because i'm still exploring it who is who is able to materialize human hands wow actually the the human hand can be seen and felt and it's warm and it's got hair on the back of it and it's proceeds out of the person's medium side, and then disappears again, just like melts. Wow. <laughs> so, so it's possible today to find materialization, which is one of the most extraordinary phenomenon in this whole bagage that uh, that has interested us for so long and that I deal with extensively in the book.
1: Was Dr. A. ever ostracized for his interest in spiritualism?
0: Uh, no, it wasn't, because, it, see, it was accepted, accepted by the people in the... Um, Excuse
1: me, do you need me? No, I, I'm listening, sir. I was just wa- No, I'm still here. I was just wondering if Dr. A...
0: No, he um, he um, wasn't ostracized because see, spiritualism was... Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Well, let me let me back up into... Sure, take your what time. ...what I've discovered in, 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 in analyzing a lot of this stuff. It's pure performance.
1: Yeah, I was going to get into that in a sec. Sure, go ahead. Let's and go the thing now.
0: And actually is very much like a performance. Uh, people come, uh, last for 90 minutes, they come on a regular basis sort of procedure mm-hmm. in this case Dr. Ackroyd was the major the, the impresario who brought the show to the public and um, they come they come get dressed for the show because they have to look look proper
1: mm-hmm.
3: That's
0: been in the last 90 minutes so it's your performance
1: and you know, one of those things that you mentioned in the book about the performances that I was quite taken with is the need for darkness for nighttime. And it's funny, you know, I compose music for television and film. This is just a volunteer gig for me. And I always gravitate towards the nighttime to compose. There oh, yeah. is something serene yeah. about the night. Uh-huh. Um, I can't describe it. It's more of a feeling than anything else. And I was just wondering if this was indicative of of why most seances are held at night um
0: no i don't i don't i i i am not going to deny the correlation between the, the quietness and and, mm-hmm. and, and 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 the creative process but the reason the reason that uh, that, that it's uh, often held in semi-darkness mm-hmm. is that the light is a distraction
3: oh i see
0: and that person's mind should be focused, and they should believe what's happening, and and not be disbelieving, mm-hmm. and and being um and, and being in semi darkness um, helps the helps the process of what you call it faith if you wish, and then I believe that's the reason.
1: Okay. The other thing I was going to ask you is when these. Performances are taking place. There's various elements that go into the performance. As you write, uh, one of them, the trumpet, for example, a round table, the darkness. That reminded me right away of certain other religions and the traditions that they have that go around their own spiritualism, their own search for God in their own way. Did you find a parallel between the two yourself? Was that any of your? Um...
0: Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm missing. I'm missing your your. Um...
1: Oh, okay. I'll try and give a... Uh, for example, in Judaism, uh, when you walk into a synagogue, um, the men put on um, talus, for example, and that becomes part of their tradition. In uh, in Catholicism, the women will put a, a, um, uh, something over their head when they walk into a church. That becomes part of the tradition. Do you feel that there could be a parallel there in spiritualism, even though it's not a religion, that those elements that go into the performance are now becoming part... Of the traditions of a séance.
0: That's, I think, probably exactly because uh, the Catholic Mass is yes, a performance. There you go. That's what I meant. You see it is, including you know the incense. Mm. Yes, I should have thought of
1: that priest, in the beginning.
0: The, the priest is, is, is robed in a certain way. Mm-hmm.
1: The mm-hmm.
0: rites are are specific, and um, it, it is it is definitely a performance.
1: And everybody's searching for God in their own way. It's. In, uh,
0: well, sure, and I don't know about Judaism and, and, and Islam in um, judaism I, I i i'm not sure uh, about, about the liturgy that take place in the synagogue mm-hmm. but in islam uh, it it may be maybe as well there may be similar ele- similar elements there that are a correlation because those, those are the three mm-hmm. traditions that come from abraham that's right Yeah, um, yeah the abrahamic uh, tr- traditions and uh, there's many many things similar to the Bible <laughs> i mean I, I could divert on that because i'm, I'm I've lost my eyesight, and so I have to depend upon audible books for my stimulus, and I read about two books a week, and I've come across some wonderful books recently that help fill in the, the gaps of my knowledge about things like religion and how it correlates with spiritualism and other things that I know so I could divert on that quite easily, but that's not the subject tonight.
1: <laughs> oh, if you want to, sir. You know, we can go in any direction you'd like no, if, if no. you've been influenced Let's by those. go
0: in the direction. that You finally got some notes there, and you, you be the major domo and tell us.
1: No problem, you're... then. What I was curious about, when we just played that clip of Maurice Chevalier, yeah. the people that were, that were involved in this seance seemed quite surprised that it was more a chevalier. I guess what I wanted to know was when people sit down at a seance, because as a novice I've never been to one, are they trying to bring across a specific spirit, or is it just anybody who is willing to come and speak? Oh, no, it's
0: very good, quite specific. Oh, it is? Okay. For instance, um, well, here you are now. Mm -hmm. My father was um, an engineer with Bell Canada, and uh, the Northern Electric Company was... uh, and the northern laboratories in Canada were the chief places where mm-hmm. all kinds of experimentation in electronics and, and telecommunications were taking place. And my father and some of his colleagues, including Dr. A, mm-hmm. said why no, the voices that are coming through, there are vibrations, and the vibrations have got to be of a certain number of hertz, which is the number of cycles per second, Uh, and a radio can pick up something that's broadcast. So why couldn't we make a machine that would pick up these spirits and then we wouldn't need the medium? Makes sense. So that became a thing. And now Edison himself tried to do this. He actually was interested in doing so in the last part of the the 20th, 19th century. Um, But he he failed. And also the Bell uh, Laboratory people that came up to canada and sat mm-hmm. in the seances and worked with my father tried but they couldn't could not reproduce the uh a, a machine a produce machine that would pick up the vibrations which is interesting in itself and the answer was that the the vibrations were so rapid that there was no no instrument they
1: could that could pick them
0: up they had the capability of doing that
1: wow yeah where, so by being rapid, then they were very high frequencies. See, I was always told that they were low frequencies. In oh, the... I think it's the opposite. It is.
0: Huh. You, know, you huh. see, there's a matter. Yes, you know, sir. Another phenomenon, you know, when, when you consider a well, very simple, and people who would like to recall the New Testament, and they post-resurrection appearances of Jesus.
1: Yes, sir, I was reading there that. There were
0: eight yeah. of them, and every, and every time it's the same thing. He just appeared out of nothing. And um, there he was, and then he melted away and disappeared again.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And the times when he did that uh, in the upper room where the apostles were gathered, they, they, of course, they were locked in there because they were afraid of retribution from from the authorities and And he just came through the door and sat with them, and then melted away and out the door again. Now here we have a case of matter going through matter. Every, everything in matter is vibrating, and, and the electrons are whirring around, mm-hmm. and all kinds of solid things. And, and, and to be able to have something pass through that, you're going to have a, you're going to have a vibration similar to it you know, to to pass through.
2: And, uh, you're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brandon Holland.
1: So do you think that these entities are able to adjust their vibrations in order to go through matter?
0: I think they must be. Yeah. They must.
1: I never thought of it like that. you just yeah, well, educated. That's an me.
0: interesting aspect. You know, not think
1: mm-hmm. about <laughs>
0: science we're talking here. This isn't
1: spook. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention that when I mention your book again, sir. Folks, uh, our guest tonight is uh, Peter Ackroyd, of course, and A History of Ghosts is the book, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Indeed, it is a scientific academic book, and it's a great history of spiritualism. You're going to learn a lot from this book. I have just about every page, the corner of every page, Bent over. <laughs> There's so many notes. I've learned so much from this, from the stories of individual mediums to the way they're conducted as Mr. Ackroyd was just saying he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. There's also a great little uh, chapter here on uh, the sightings of Mary, for example. All documented, all with notes, end notes at the at the end. It's a it's a terrific book. It really is. It truly is. It's one well worth if you're interested in this subject matter. This is done from a scientific standpoint. It's well worth an addition. To your library you were talking about the scientific aspects we broadcast out of Laurentian University in Sudbury and here at our university we have a fellow by the name of Dr. Persinger I know about him oh okay um,
0: Absolutely, sure, a very important man and, and, and the cutting
1: edge in, in, in,
0: this, in this whole subject area.
1: He sure is. Yeah. I've uh, talked with him several times. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a course going on right here at Laurentian University that I'm part of on remote viewing. And what Dr. Persinger, just so folks around the, the country that are listening right now, I can clue them into what he's doing, he's approaching this from a scientific aspect. He believes that he can set up The same conditions that people see UFOs in, that people have paranormal experiences in, in a laboratory by putting on something, what he calls the God helmet. Now, I've had the God helmet on. What it is, is a helmet shaped very much like a football helmet. In fact, it is an old football helmet with little things sticking in it. And what those little pins sticking in it do is adjust the magnetism on your brain. Now, he had never turned it on for me, because there's a whole protocol that has to go through, but I did wear it, and, uh, he's had some very interesting results. Mixed results, nonetheless. He hasn't been able to reproduce the same effects with every single person, but he's looking at it from a scientific perspective. And, I was uh, in
0: correspondence with him.
1: Oh, were you, sir? Okay.
0: Yes, actually, I, because I, I sort of the wonder. Yes, sir? Uh, so, well, let, let me back up. And, sure. And then jump fast forward to, to, to what I, what I found, and that has encapsulated in a book recently published called "The God Gene."
1: Yes, yes, I yes. I had yes, a yes,
0: feeling, yes. in a sense, that somehow or other we were hardwired to believe, and that it was an instinct that was just as strong as the reproductive instinct, which doesn't need any description to keep the race going, <laughs> or mm-hmm. the um, the fright our flight instinct which yes, is our survival instinct we certainly we certainly know that uh, we got to eat and drink to stay alive mm-hmm. so that's instinctual and then i thought there must be another instinct in here and that is the instinct to believe in something beyond ourselves that therefore gives us uh, all the attributes of, of religious experience and uh, and the comfort and guidance and all of, all of, surrounds that and sure enough, sure, this man writes the book mm-hmm. called The God Gene and I think it's probably there and I the love of the phrase, we're hardwired to believe in something beyond ourself.
1: Do you think that negates God? Do you think which? Do you think that fact that we're hardwired to believe something, that that actually negates the actual existence of God, for lack of a better word?
0: Oh no, not at all. That's
1: I think right. it verifies it.
0: Confirmed it, sure. Yes,
1: that's my opinion also, very much so. Folks, uh, we're speaking with an incredible man, um, a deep, profound thinker. A History of Ghosts is the book, our guest Peter H. Ackroyd. The book can be gotten at any chapters indigo right across the country, readily available. As I said, I was in chapters today, and uh, it's right there, predominant on the shelves. Easy way to get it online, as always, folks, just go to the Show dot com website. Click on the book cover. Take your rate right the chapters, into to go online. You can order it from the comfort of your own home. I want to talk a little bit now about angels. How do you feel angels work into all of this? Are they just spirits of our loved ones that have gone on, or are they an entity unto themselves?
0: Oh, they're an entity unto themselves. Definitely, mm-hmm. the whole angelology is a study all by itself. And lots of lots of um, persons of credible credible um, intellectual and scientific credentials believe in, 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 in angels mm-hmm. and, and the whole subject of angelology. It's 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 right in there with all the other s- subjects uh, that relate to what we're talking about. Uh, a very profound subject um, and one which um, has to be given credence, in my opinion along with all the other things we're talking
1: about. I agree. I think they are an entity under themselves. And, you know, everybody has an instance where they kind of feel a presence, kind of a precognizant presence that kind of warns you off. Don't go down that street, go the other way, and all of a sudden you find out that something bad has happened along the way that if you had have taken that path. So I agree completely with you. Some of the phenomenon of the Marian apparitions you write. Now this really piqued my imagination because many people of all faiths have seen the Virgin Mary in apparition form. And countless, countless numbers of people. And not just on an individual basis either, folks. Uh, We're talking people, 500 people at a time. This is phenomenal and uh-huh. yet you still get the skeptics that just won't believe it. Uh-huh. And this always perplexes me.
3: Uh-huh.
1: How do you I'm feel about that?
0: that? You know that the church has not taken a stand on all those, what do they call Marian,
3: that's Mary, Marian appearances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, um, they believe if it helps person's faith, then it's okay.
1: Since I've started doing this show, about a year and a half now, I've realized that they are one and the same. That they're both seeking the same thing. Do you feel much along the same way? Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: Take a look at what uh, all the things we've talked about.
1: Precisely, precisely.
0: These great scientists in the past who wanted to know more about psychic phenomenon and the paranormal.
1: Well, you know, one of the the experiments that really that I really I'm looking at the book right now on page 164, the Philip experiment. Mm -hmm. Can I just I'll just read a little bit if you don't mind, just a, a quotation. Sure.
0: Very, very interesting.
1: Oh, it was incredible. Uh, you know, in 1972, members of the Toronto Society for Physical Research participated in a series of experiments in Toronto to see if they could produce an entity able to manifest the phenomena of table tilting and wrappings on that type that they had. Do you want to pick it up from there, or would you like me to just explain it? Go ahead. Okay. I'll continue reading it then, folks. Um, The phenomena of a table tilting and wrappings of the type that had by many in the past been... Credited to spirits. They hope to eventually get such an entity to materialize. Now, I'll just basically paraphrase the rest of it because it would take up all of our time. But essentially, what they did was they created a scenario. They created a character from imagination. They gave it various attributes, a name, a gender, etc., etc. And they actually got results during a seance. Not in the beginning, but eventually they got table tapping. And this was phenomenal. And I would like to discuss this a little bit. How do you feel? Do you feel it was the manifestation? They talk about tapping into the Jungian consciousness. Now, folks, the Jungian consciousness, you all know Freud. Carl Jung was a psychiatrist of note also. And he believed that there was a mass consciousness that everybody is part of, that we all participate in. We input things. We take things out of it. We're all part of it. How do you feel, Peter?
0: I agree with that. And Young himself was wrote, wrote eloquently, eloquently uh, on the subject and connected it with the, uh, with the afterlife, you know, the whole uh, hypothesis of, of survival, mm-hmm. and uh, which we haven't talked about yet, but <laughs> and that's got to be part of our, our discussion. Sure, okay, we'll talk or, about that in a second. I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded, it's a very mysterious concept, but that mm-hmm. it, sort of every thought that has ever been thought in the world is still out there somehow or other <laughs> in some great miasma and you can access it and filch it and bring it back again through certain circumstances and that's called the, uh, the universal uh, consciousness. The word consciousness, as seen, as you will see when you end, go to the end of the book there, and I, and I had to try to come to some conclusion with regard to the uh, survival hypothesis, I had to find out choose words. What is what is it that survives? Mm-hmm. And is it the human personality that survives? Is it... What is it? And I concluded that it was... And, that, and, it, and I couldn't say that the human consciousness survives, but I had to conclude that some aspect of the human consciousness survives bodily death. And I think it's a pretty, pretty neat definition and... Um, a refinement of a lot of thinking on the subject.
3: And mm-hmm.
0: I think you can hang your hat on that.
1: Do you think that there is a heaven on the other side? Because often, you know, on the show, I've had a lot of people that have, like yourself, sir, that, and myself, we believe in spiritualism, we believe in the afterlife. But very few people that have had a contact with the afterlife, actually nobody, has ever mentioned anybody from the other side mentioning God or Jesus, or any of well, the I,
3: other. I can
0: give you two quick answers. And this is in my book, there too. You probably came across it. And many, many at the seances that I attended and that others have attended, there's so many of the, the par- participants, they call them sitters. When you go to a seance, mm-hmm. you're sitting around a shaker, so you're a sitter. And so the sitters would ask the spirits that came through the medium, Have you seen God? Because you see, that, presumed that they're coming from an afterlife in another world and, and in fact might be coming from what be, could be characterized as heaven
3: because they are spirits without bodies but they're, mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're not
0: human living human beings. And the answer has always been no, they haven't seen God, they haven't seen Jesus. And, um, and heaven is a very interesting concept. Heaven is a very subjective concept. Heaven to the Eskimo is a a warm igloo with a big 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 fire and the smoke not bothering anybody heaven to the arab as an oasis in the desert with a cool cool water flowing and and so (laughs) heaven's a subjective concept and there's not something that exists out there and it can be defined and, and be given dimensions and so it's a big trap you start thinking about time and space and um some, some some people have gone to huge extremes to to define what heaven is. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they do it with like the idea of concentric circles around the world. And one plane is higher than the other. And the fact a guy named Watson, a Toronto author, years ago wrote a book called The Twentieth Plane. And thought that that was the, the highest thing. And as you mature in the afterlife, uh, one plane after the other. And that's kind of, Kind of the people who who really believe in a, a linear description of a laughter but Don't forget that the Hindus believe in, in reincarnation.
1: reincarnation. Reincarnation. Thank reincarnation, you, my friend. I was going to say born again. In,
0: yeah. re, rebirth into the body again. Now that's that's the circular theory of the survival hypothesis. But and it's very interesting. In all the spiritualists and throughout spiritualist literature, paranormal literature. And the spooks themselves, we call them spooks. They used to come through in the houses. They didn't believe in—they didn't believe in, 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 in reincarnation, not at all. It's strange. You it's, know, it's a very mm-hmm, satisfying mm-hmm. theory.
1: How about yourself, sir? Do you believe in reincarnation? I don't know. Good can, answer. Fair answer. I can—I can say um, uh, there's
3: some evidence of it for sure. The uh, American Society of
0: Psychical Research. Mm-hmm. Uh, some very very solid work in in india that indicated that there was some evidence of reincarnation but um, they really never pronounced them and i don't care it doesn't matter i'm not worried about that
1: okay fair enough sir
0: because it's the uh well as you see in the last words of my book there after all studying all this writing about it i should be wondering what's going to happen to to me to peter and it comes right down to it you see a beautiful beautiful jesus then suffer little children to come unto me. We mm. are as the kingdom of God. Unless you uh, sort of behave, as it were, as these little ones, then you will never see the kingdom. And I did some study in the Greek on what the children, and it turns out that the definition of children mm-hmm. he was referring to, they were toddlers. That is, anybody, any kid up until sort of three years of age. But beyond that, there was another word in the Greek for children. But yes, he was referring to little little children up to three years of age. And, what, and what's the characteristic? That they have absolute trust and absolute obedience. They don't know anything else except to trust the parent and those that are around them in authority and obedience to what the people in authority are. So it's pretty, pretty plain.
1: And they don't have any pre-con- You're preconceptions.
0: You've got to trust.
1: Absolutely.
0: That, to me, that's, that's
1: all I need. I don't have to go further than that. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to
2: Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now
1: your host, Brent Holland. In the books, sir, you talk about visualization. I'm going to come back to this uh, Phillips experiment. The reason why I mention that is because the thought comes first and then it, it gets manifest. And you give a very good analogy, and it's an analogy I've used before too, which is sports. In sports, they have done studies, folks. I think it could have been at Purdue, if I'm not mistaken. It was one of the big universities anyways. They took some test subjects on the basketball team. Half the team would go home and visualize shooting baskets. The other team would actually physically shoot them. At the end of a month, they lined them both up. And wouldn't you know it, I think it was the team that visualized actually scored more baskets so that's visualization in a nutshell uh-huh. do you think that we create our own reality with our mind and this comes back to the phillips experiment Philip experiment and therefore if we do by extension do we create our own heaven
0: a profound subject uh, philosophically could go on for quite a while looking at the ramifications of that hmm that but i think the bottom line is your bottom line in, in, in what you just stated and i think heaven is here and now that's where it is it's not some future time and it's not some future place it's here and, and I think sure it, we must create our own heaven so that's not a bad that's not a bad statement i think it uh, could stand a little polishing and mm-hmm. extension and so on but you're, you're on to the truth in my view
1: Thank you, sir. I'm looking at the time. You're more than welcome to stick around if you want. It's up to you. I'm going to leave it up to you. By the way, what's the weather? Because we're sitting at minus 10 Celsius right now tonight, I'll have you know. What's the weather in California today?
0: Uh, the California weather is just a marvelous, marvelous climate here. Of course, it's winter in California, so it's um, it's, it's nippy, uh, nippy during the day. But the sun shines and uh, mm. perhaps not really recognized that some people on the who live here, because uh, we spent many, many years in San Diego during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. The residents of San Diego in January, they go to South America. They go close to the equator to, to, to get some heat.
1: Hmm.
0: So it, isn't, it isn't hot, but it isn't cold, and there's no snow.
1: And there's no snow, <laughs> no snow, no brushing off the car.
0: Well, I think maybe we should terminate.
1: No problem, my friend. I want to thank you so much for joining us, sir. I just want to mention to people again, our guest tonight has been Peter Ackroyd, the book A History of Ghosts, the True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Thank you. I want to Very,
0: very sensitive um, questioning, and I appreciate having an opportunity to share with you. Thank you, Brent.
1: Well, thank you, sir, and all the best to you, and God bless.
0: Okay. Bye now.
1: Take care now. Bye-bye. Peter Aykroyd. Wasn't that great? What an intelligent man, eh? Of course, Dan Aykroyd's uh, dad, by the way. And uh, we were discussing tonight his book, A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. And it was growing up around all these seances that Peter actually inspired uh, with, sto- with stories that inspired Dan to go on and write Ghostbusters. Quite an amazing story, quite an amazing book, and I urge you all to go and get it. It would be a great addition, a seriously great addition to your library, especially if you're, I mean, the history of this, it's so well documented and researched. It truly is. It just is a a tremendous, tremendous book. Just let me read something from it, because um, I think this puts it all into focus. This is one of the stories from his, his life, and this is fascinating. This is Peter telling a story. When he was nine years old, it began as a typical seance and as they were nearing the end of it, my grandmother had retreated to the kitchen to put the tea kettle on and place on the large tray, the carrot cake she had baked in the afternoon. Walter suddenly rose from his chair and turned his back to the table. Still in the trance state, his actions smooth yet deliberate, he slowly raised one leg and then the other, and knelt on the chair. Now I should tell you, Walter was the channeler for this seance, facing backwards. When he spoke, his voice was shaking, and just loud enough for the sitters to hear, and it sounded completely different from anything they had heard before. Steinmetz here. You will not succeed, the spirit said through Walter, who remained kneeling on the chair, still facing away from the table around which the group was seated the instrument you contemplate is not possible vibrations are too fine too many ideal conversions of vibrations can never be created by those who remain on this plane it was not until later that my father discovered who Steinmetz was carl proteus steinmetz 1865, died in 1923. A Prussian-American mathematician and physicist who enlightened the world of engineering with his brilliant description of the alternating current, sounds like Tesla, enabling engineers to design electrical motors using applied mathematical calculations rather than by trial and error. Steinmetz had a mind like a steel trap, but his body was encumbered by a debilitating deformity that prevented him from sitting upright. He did most of his work You ready for this, folks? While kneeling in his chair. From the book A History of Ghosts The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts and Ghostbusters by Peter H. Ackroyd, forward by Dan Ackroyd. Available at chapters indigo Right around the country. Also just go to the Triple W Night Fright Show, the Hutcom website, and click on the book cover. We'll take you right there. I'm gonna play some ghost stories for us tonight. And the first one I'm going to play is a story about Chris's dad. And here it comes right now. From Chrissy, and she writes, uh, "Hi Brent, uh, always love ghost stories. They always manage to scare the heck out of me. I've got a ghostly experience. It isn't particularly scary, but was slightly unnerving. The first event took place in Alberta, in the foothills of the Rockies, in 1993. I had met a wonderful man, and he asked me to get married. Well, congratulations, Chrissy. Of course, I said yes." Shortly after that, my mom, my brother, my sister, and I decided to take one last family trip together before my wedding. We were driving across Alberta, and we decided to take a break and stay in a small hotel in a little town in the northeastern part of the province before tackling the Rockies the next day. We checked into what looked like a clean and well-kept motel for what was expected to be a restful night's sleep. We flipped a coin, and I won and got the double bed near the window to myself. Sometime during the night, I awoke to the feeling of someone gently cupping my face and softly patting my cheek. Hmm. The sensation didn't last long, and I sat bolt upright and stared around the room. It was a cramped space with my bed so close to the wall that an adult could not stand there. My brother was at the foot of the bed on a cot and could not have moved fast enough to give the impression of deep sleep after touching my face, and besides, I didn't feel the bed shift under any weight. Once my heartbeat slowed down and I assured myself that I was okay, and everyone was sound asleep, I laid back down and drifted comfortably off. I talked to my family the next day and even asked the staff if there was any ghostly phenomena that had been reported. They all looked at me like I was nuts. After much thought, I figure it was my dad,, ah, who had passed away, letting me know that he approved of my choice and husband's, and that everything would be all right. Wow, that's a nice one. Thanks, Chrissy. There's another great one from Zimbabwe here. Just let me read it here. And this was sent by S. Kuzga. Hello, Brent. It was late December in Zimbabwe towards Christmas time when all industrial workers have shut down for Christmas holiday. All the immigrant workers will do shopping for their families back home in villages. My cousin bought some groceries and new clothes for his wife and kids to put on Christmas I guess he means tree here. He writes, "This time in Southern Africa, it will be raining and vegetation will be green. People, animals and plants will surely be in the festive mood. However, even though some will be celebrating, this is the time which ghosts will be very active." This from Zimbabwe folks by the way. They get attracted by the darkness and lightning during this season. So in the village's peasants, farmers, they go and plant and grow their crops in some fields that will be a distance from home. This can be as much as five kilometers from the comfort of their home. So they ferry food that they will eat all day and then come back in the evening. Since it is the rain season, they also built some shacks, tents or shades that they can take shelter in when it is raining or eating at their meal breaks. These shades won't be destroyed until the end of the season. So, on this particular Friday night, my cousin was coming home from Harar, going back to his family and wife with his shopping. He did not have a car. On this night, the moon was not shining because there was a dark cloud and storm was raging at a distance coming towards the village. My cousin got off the bus and carried his shopping as he was approaching the fields. It started to rain heavily and lightning was bad, so he decided to take shelter since he was no way near home. He went into the shade that their family had at their field. Now a witch stole a corpse at the nearby hospital morgue and was taking it where they will do their rituals and eat some parts of it. The law there does not allow you to accuse someone to be a witch unless you have a strong and hard evidence. So, the witch also took refuge in the same shade. Nobody knew that there was another person in the same shade, so lightning struck, and there was a huge flash of light that simulated daylight. This is where the trouble started. The light was so bright that these two guys they saw each other and the witch panicked he thought the dead body he stole had come back to life and my cousin saw that there was someone in the shade and ran away he thought he could be robbed of his possessions and in worst case scenario he would be killed so he ran and ran and ran and the witch ran after him thinking that the man running was the body he had stolen he suddenly arrived at the house which was just by the road he banged the door and just walked in and could not say anything for 36 hours. He would not talk because of the shock and fury he had experienced. And until today, he does not walk in darkness. This is a true story. S. Kuzga. And that's from Zimbabwe. And just as an abridge to that, this next thing I'm about to read is from the BBC News. And it states that Zimbabwe has lifted a ban on the practice of witchcraft. Repealing legislation dating back to colonial rule. Witchcraft is legal again in Zimbabwe.
2: You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: Okay, this email says that it's a funny story, and it's from Peter down in Toronto. And uh, he says, great subject today. Brent, thank you for your show. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening. Okay, he goes on to say, we live a dull, uneventful life. That is until we packed and moved from Montreal to our new home in Toronto. Toronto's more exciting than Montreal? I digress. New house, new bedroom, new noises at night. Right? Par for the course. My wife and I were just getting accustomed to the new creaks and cracks of our new home, as would be common in any other house of similar age. Then something absolutely bizarre began to happen. One night while sleeping, we were both started awake in the middle of the night by a toilet flushing somewhere in the house. We lay in the bed and stared out at the hallway and listened intently, fully expecting someone's footsteps to be heard. One minute passed, two minutes, Then finally ten minutes. We finally brushed it off to an anomaly and went back to sleep. Now to be fair, it is a fairly large house with several floors and eight bathrooms. Peter, what's going on? Everything was fine for the next few evenings and we were settling in quite nicely to our new surroundings. Then it happened again. Flush. Right in the middle of the night. We both looked at each other perplexed. Again, no sounds after, no footsteps, no apparitions, no cold spots, nada. Just the flush. Do ghosts have to use toilets too, I thought? The same scenario repeated itself several more times until I knew I should do something. I ended up calling a top-notch, well-trained scientist with all kinds of official certificates from an Ivy League, no less school, to investigate. He came right away with his right-hand man-advisor. In they came with boxes and boxes with all sorts of test equipment, cameras, tape recorders, and all kinds of parts and wires everywhere. After a full two days of research, quote-unquote, they returned to their lab to assess the results. Then came the startling revelation, something we had no idea could actually happen in this day and age. They found that the ball valves or flappers, sorry, I don't know the technical term, in the water tanks (laughs) a couple of toilets were leaking, and after a time they would cause the toilets to flush. After they replaced the flappers, there was no more ghost flushings at night. End of ghost story. And on the second page he has, P.S. The visit by the plumbers cost 90 bucks, but we had several flappers replaced and even went to Canadian Tire and bought a spare flapper. That story from Peter, now having sound sleeps in his new home in Taranto. I hope you enjoyed this potty humor, Peter. Okay, this one ties in nicely with Christine's story actually Uh, it's just a short one via email my husband and I moved into our new home in Brossard several years ago ah must be Lee again I guess I was around 32 or 33 after the first week or so I started seeing a man walking around the main floor and upstairs oh yeah I would be I, I I need to advise you now get out of that house I always see it out of the corner of my eye I seem to see it more when I am very angry or feeling very sad. This went on and on, seeing the man walking towards me. Once, when I was sick, I actually saw the man coming down the hall toward my room. It didn't feel scary though. While out with the girls one night, we decided to go see a psychic. Wait until you hear what they told me. It completely freaked me out. They simply stated, you have a ghost in your house he is a tall man you have nothing to fear as he means you no harm you see him more when you are upset or angry and he only wants to be a comfort to you the man that is in your house is your father as you know my dad died when i was a baby wow what a story Okay, guys, the next story is about basements. So what is it about basements, anyways, that always scares the uh, bejesus out of us? Is it the fact we're down there alone and nobody can hear us and the vulnerability of it all? Or maybe it's being alone with those dark shadows. This one's from Lee via email. Hi, Brent. Really enjoy the show. Uh, this is a story about me growing up at my mom's in the 80s and 90s in Montreal. I was always scared of the basement. During the day it was fine, but as soon as it got dark out, I always felt that I was not alone down there. If I had to go down there for any reason, I always turned on all the lights and found it very, very cold. Not just drafty, but cold, cold. This theory happened just before my mom moved from my childhood home. I guess I would be in my mid-twenties. I was in the process of getting my stuff together for the move and went to the basement to see what I could find down there to clear out. My friend Kyla, I hope that's pronounced right, K-Y-L-A, and I had found a box filled with old black and white pictures in it in a secluded part of the basement that we virtually just used for storage all those years and never went into. Anyways, there was the box. Someone had placed it on the top shelf all the way at the back, and I guess when they moved, they couldn't see it. You'd have to be a giant, ha-ha-ha, and left it behind. We opened the box and wiped the dust off with my hand. We started to look at the photos. I had no idea at all who the people were. I was standing up and Kyla was sitting down she would pull a picture out of the box and then hand it to me. All of a sudden, I got really cold, and then it felt like someone was standing directly behind me, breathing on my neck. Kyla asked me what was wrong, and I told her. We switched places to see what would happen. Kyla took the same picture in her hand and stood there. She felt the breathing on her neck also, Whoever it was did not like the fact that we were looking at those pictures. The person had to be at least six feet as they were breathing down my neck. We left the basement really fast. When we told her husband, Seamus, about this incident... Oh, this is interesting, guys. Listen to this. He told me that when he was looking after my mom's cat while we were on vacation, he said that every time he entered the house and passed the basement door, he felt that he was being watched by someone or something... I'm writing this to you and the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. Well, mine just did too, guys. And that was from Lee. Thanks, Lee.
2: You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: We're back. You are listening to CKLU 96.7 FM from beautiful Laurentian University in Sudbury, Ontario, where we broadcast from 10 p.m. to midnight. And I want to say a special thank you to Carrie and Deborah Frankel. Without those two guys, man, this station, this show would not be on the air. They uh, put their heart and soul into this, and I mean that with all sincerity. They really keep things going around here, and it's not easy because... As you know, it's a volunteer radio station, and budgets are always a problem, especially in this day and age. So thank you to both of you. CAPER Radio, Cape Breton University, Sydney, Nova Scotia, Wednesdays from 3.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. at night. I want to say hi to my good buddy, Matthew Burke. Jason Wellwood, of course, is over at CILU 102.7 FM, Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Thunder Bay rocks, folks. Thunder Bay rocks. Sunday nights at midnight, if you're listening right now, thank you. CJMQ 88.9 FM, the voice of the Eastern Townships in Sherbrooke, Quebec. And that's Saturday nights from 10 p.m. to midnight. My buddy over there is David Teasdale, the general manager. Sound FM 100.3 FM, University of Waterloo in Waterloo, Ontario, Tuesday nights Wednesday mornings, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., three shows back-to-back there. My buddy Road Dog. Road Dog, man, you rock. By the way, got your email today. I will contact you tomorrow, and we'll get that guest on the air. No problemo. A friend of his has written a book. Are you ready, folks? All of you listening on campuses right now. Campuses and ghosts. Oh, yeah, baby. We're going to have a show on that. Tell me you're not going to want to be alone for that one. Keep the lights on. Keep the lights on. CKXU 88.3 FM, University of Lethbridge in Lethbridge, Alberta. Of course, beautiful campus there. Friday nights at midnight, Alan Gillespie, my buddy. Amos Evans over at CIVL 88.7 FM, University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful Abbotsford, British Columbia. Thursdays from 2 p.m to 4 p.m. And Friday mornings, another show at 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. CF 80, 92.1 FM. And that's Salamo Radio in Salamo and Ymir, British Columbia. Saturday evenings, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. McGerald the Hutch Hutchman. Christopher Earls over at CFUR, 88.7 FM, University of Northern British Columbia, Prince George, British Columbia. They broadcast the show Friday night, Saturday morning. 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. If you're listening right now, thank you. CFXU 93.3 FM, St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, British Columbia. And that Saturday evenings from 10 p.m. to midnight. I want to say hi to Kurt Wetmore.
2: You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: Folks, I want to point you to the, I almost said it again, The I'm going to edit this part out, Brent Holland website, but I'll send you there too, www.brenthollandshow.com, where you're going to find a wealth of information, but you can also go to the www.nightfrightshow website, www.nightfrightshow website. There you're going to find a wealth of information. Some of that information is the archives. All the archives are there from past shows for you to download for free. That's right, folks. There's no charge for any of this stuff. And there's a whole plethora of shows. We did a whole series on UFOs going back to July of this year. We had all the top-notch researchers on. For instance, we had Stan Friedman. Now, Stan Friedman's an icon, as you know, Canadian icon. He is the grandfather, the father of Roswell, And if you've ever seen any UFO documentaries on Discovery Channel, History Channel, or whatever, you've seen Stan Friedman. He's the older fellow with glasses and the beard and a very knowledgeable man. He's been doing this for 30, 40 years. Incredible show. That's there for you to download for free. And when I say incredible show, I don't mean me in any of this or Night Fright in any of this. The guests, the guests are incredible people and they bring truth and authenticity to this show, and it's just a pure pleasure to be able to talk with these folks. How many of you knew Canada had its own Roswell? Yeah, we did. Shag Harbor, and that story's there too. Don Ledger was here also speaking about that. And our very own Michel Deschamps, Sudbury's own MUFON director, was here talking about Area 51. And that was an explosive show. All kinds of great information there. We did the whole series on the Kennedy assassination. First person witnesses. People who are right there in Daly Plaza witnessing the assassination. Um, We spoke with the doctor, Dr. Robert McClelland, who was the doctor that was in charge of trying to resuscitate President Kennedy. Four minutes after Kennedy was shot, he was rushed to Parkland Hospital. He was the doctor in charge of that. That's the same thing as talking to the doctor who would have worked on President Lincoln. Real history, live history, living history. Abraham Bolden, one of my favorite guys in the whole world, first African-American Secret Service agent handpicked by JFK himself, tells an incredible story how he protected Carolyn and also Jackie Kennedy right at Hyannisport. Incredible man. All those shows are there for you to download for free. I want to mention, coming up February 24th, Don't Go Anywhere, James Douglas returns. James Douglas, as you know, uh, was an author who wrote an incredible book about the JFK assassination. He is returning. He is working on a book on the assassination of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, February, as you know, is Black History Month. And that's why I asked him to come on a little bit early before his book is published and finished to talk about this subject. I think it's really important that we get this information out. It will also represent the first time we've gone into the Malcolm X assassination, and it's going to be one heck of a revelation. Let me tell you, that's all I'm going to say about it right now. But the research he does is impeccable. As a matter of fact, Oliver Stone just wrote a whole article on the quality of of James Douglas's book on the President Kennedy assassination and um just impeccable, impeccable research. He's top-notch, top-notch researcher. So he's going to be here February 24th in March. Don't go anywhere, folks. The whole month of March, 2012. Oh, yeah, baby, right here on Night Fright, 2012. We're going to go in-depth, five shows back-to-back, Crystal Skulls and 2012? Oh, yeah. We're going to go into that as well. And we're going to look at Indiana Jones came out a couple of years ago. We're going to look at the background of that and bring it up to date and tie it in with 2012. We're going to look at the spiritual revelation that's coming with 2012. We're going to look at the apocalyptic revelation that's going to be coming with 2012. Stand by for that. Be prudent. Be careful. It's coming. We can't avoid it. All that. www.nightfrightshow.com. www.nightfrightshow.com. Also, I want to mention Peter's book one more time as my glasses fall. We're alone here in the studio, by the way, folks. So if you hear any bangs or crashes, it's me or ghosts. And we have to do everything. So, uh, forgive me for some of the, uh, technical problems that are produced. <laughs> by me trying to do multitask as I'm trying to do right now. A History of Ghosts was Peter's book, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Peter Aykroyd, of course, is Dan's father, Dan Aykroyd, our Canadian icon. And in the book, uh, Something We Didn't Get To Tonight, he tells how Dan was influenced by a whole lifetime of growing up around seances and those types of stories, created Ghostbusters, and apparently Ghostbusters 3 is well underway and coming out. So I'll see if I can get, uh, I would love to have Peter back on. I feel that our conversation didn't quite finish and maybe what I'll do for Peter next time because uh, Peter's a senior citizen and I respect that. There's no question. Uh, I think I'm just talking to myself. I think I'll try and record him in advance, perhaps earlier in the day because he's a fascinating fellow. You know, one of the greatest pleasures I have at doing a show like this is being able to talk to folks like this. It's incredible. There's a wealth of information there and knowledge that they can pass along to try and solve some of the mysteries in this world. And they are plethora. They are legion, the mysteries of this world. This is a good book, folks. This is one that certainly deserves to be on your shelves at home. A History of Ghosts, the True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters. Available at Chapters Indigo right across the country. You can just go, as always, to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. Click on the book cover. Take you right to Chapters Indigo. You can order it from the comfort of your own home. should arrive within 48 48 hours max, I would suspect, maybe even the next day, because um, there's a bunch of them on the shelves. You won't have any problems getting this one great book. That's probably why. So that uh, was, he was our guest tonight and uh, some really explosive things we discussed and in-depth things. This is a profound thinker without question. This man thinks about the stuff he does and uh, the real deal. He's, you know, he's the real deal. He's doing it um, because this is who he is. This is what he loves to do and real deal, quite impressive, very authentic man. Very glad he he decided to come on the show tonight. You're
2: listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: So coming up, we have a whole bunch of shows and going back to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. Again, there's a whole mess of things there that you can download for free. A ghost story that was sent to me by a student from McGill University. Now, if you guys are sitting there in a university situation, you may have stories that are similar to this. If you do, send them to me and I'll read them on air and put them up on the website, just like this gentleman's done. And uh, we have a webpage called Bizarre at the www.nightfrightshow website. And I put all the stuff that's sent to me up on there, and this particular story was sent to me from Montreal, Canada. McGill University student sent by T R G Trig One TV. Sometimes when we watch TV, the remote will randomly turn down the volume. <laughs> Sounds like he's got a ghost who's a TV uh, critic. Most of the time, we attribute this to the finicky broken button. Oh, okay, on the old remote, but sometimes it happens at just the right time, that it makes you wonder. Sometimes we can all be sitting still, and the remote is not even pointed at the TV, and it will turn down the volume by two or so notches. Other times, it'll turn down all the way to the point where you have to take out the batteries to make it stop the commands. It's commanding by itself. This is just something silly though. The microwave oven. Who hasn't had a problem with their microwave? Our microwave has randomly acted funny in the past as well. The remote control is actually a regular occurrence, but the microwave really has only ever done it a couple of times in close proximity to each other and has not done it in a number of years. There are at least two instances I can think of where we have been awakened by the microwave beeping all by itself. When we got up to check, we were standing right in front of it, and the screen would start to add the number ones, like 001, 0011, 1111, thankfully not 666, and he writes LOL. Both instances were in the middle of the night, and if memory serves me, around 3 a.m., which, as you know, is the time of the Antichrist. Another case, the microwave started to beep again in the middle of the night, this time actually spelt out what appeared to be the word child. These occurrences are not specific to this microwave, Our old one had acted funny by beeping on its own and then died a short time after. After each microwave occurrence, though, something significant happened in our lives. Perhaps this was a way of communicating with us. Explanations? Well, many experts claim that spiritual activity can manifest itself in terms of energies that we can sense, such as thermal or electromagnetic. It may just be that certain areas of our home are more susceptible to random electromagnetic activity from power lines or natural phenomena. Or it may be that there is residual energy from past occurrences that thus present themselves in a cyclical manner that we are able to interpret, that is, perceive. We can only perceive three dimensions Technically four, if you include how those three dimensions change with time. Current theoretical physics predicts the existence of 11 dimensions, of which we can only perceive four. Could it be that all these electrical signals, random occurrences, etc., that we call white noise, is actually something that we are not able to decode? that these sometimes intelligent occurrences are actually signal that we cannot understand and thus dismiss as coincidence. In a universe this complex, as it is perceived by the equations we use to attempt explaining it, coincidences are exceedingly improbable. That, from Montreal, Canada, McGill University, Trig, T-R-G, and I thank him for that.
4: that seem to be intertwined in a way that you'll see. Um, I must preface uh, my story by saying that I'm a military reenactor and I reenact battles primarily of the French uh, and the Indian War and uh, the American Revolution, as well as War of 1812. And I'm quite familiar with uh, native uh, Indians, their, uh, the way they march, and, of course, uh, 18th century uh, military uh, marching and, and cadence and rhythms. Um, anyway, at some point, uh, I guess spring of 1992, I was sleeping in my room in my in my home here in La Salle, Quebec and uh, not uh, not too far from the Lachine Sheen Rapids and uh, the King's Road where the armies used to march up and down and uh, I heard a very very strange noise, like a rustling, like a a scurrying of moccasined feet going seemed to be around and around and around in in random fashion in my uh, in my foyer outside the bedroom door and the sound started to go as a vortex as a doppler effect go around and around and around and pick up in tempo and in pitch and then just out, And so I opened my bedroom door, I was looking at my dog, like what the heck could he be doing to make a noise like that? I've never heard of such a noise in my life. And uh, dog's looking at me, I'm looking at him, I said, what the heck were you doing, you know? And uh, there was no other sign of anything being disturbed, so I just thought of that as a very strange anomaly. And uh, not more than two months later, I was awakened by the sound of uh, a platoon of troops marching through my home Uh, from the front to the back. um, I could hear their hard, uh, leathered uh, soles, heels hitting the ground in uh, 18th century marching cadence, which is one step per second, 60 steps per minute. And they marched through my house, about maybe a dozen or so of them. Uh, That's exactly what it sounded like. And uh, like I said, I do this as a hobby, so I know darn well what what this would sound like. And um, at that point, I just said, no, this can't be really happening. And I didn't bother even to get up. I just laid in bed and I just listened to the to the textures of the sounds. I'm also into electroacoustic music and uh, I'm very uh, smitten with uh, sound textures and I didn't even bother to get up but apparently talking to some of my kids later uh, the next day, uh, my eldest daughter uh, ducked under the covers because she thought someone was going to march into her bedroom and my son thought there was something going on in the house because as soon as it had marched past his door he was up and opened the door and was asking the dog what was going on and uh, of course the dog had no idea and he was just looking around and my son had been looking around and we just uh, I guess rode off as of some sort of anomaly And uh, occasionally we we bring that subject up, but that's quite a while ago now, 16 years. But uh, it was one of the strangest things that we've uh, had in this house, at least uh, as far as, you know, my experiences are. been other uh, things going on here that I didn't personally experience. Uh, I think the first thing was uh, a visual uh, entity or uh, occurrence happened here. My wife was downstairs watching a soap opera during the afternoon, and uh, the door leading towards my, one of my daughter's bedrooms and my uh, recording studio was uh, open and uh, somehow my wife just looked back over her shoulder uh, while she, well, she was sitting on the couch and she saw this Victorian woman walk across the doorway, the open doorway in the, in the room. Um, then uh, my kids had always been complaining or reporting that they had heard some woman and or child recite lullabies, sing lullabies to them uh, at their bedtime, and uh, not long after this happened, uh, my youngest daughter and my wife both saw in a in a, in a computer monitor a black black computer monitor has not been turned on yet. Uh, the image of a girl sitting uh, with her knees up on the floor behind them. So they both turned around. This is in broad daylight, and there was nobody there and they looked back into the reflection of the screen and that image had gone and then not too recently uh, my wife and my daughter indiv- independently had seen a tall skinny man uh... one time wearing cut-off jeans uh, standing near the front door and then another time wearing tights standing near the back door so uh, in the case of the woman and the daughter uh there's a possibility that that could be Mrs. Somerville and her daughter who are buried on the family farm which has been built over uh exactly uh behind my uh, backyard fence and uh people used to play around here while the golf course was still uh in existence uh which you know the farm turned into a golf course uh they were telling me that uh just on the other side of our fence was the uh, Somerville family cemetery, and in fact, they, uh, one of the uh, present the president of the uh, history society had said that uh, um, Mrs. Somerville and her daughter were both buried there, so maybe they'd come to visit us.
2: Listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: Another email here from Lee. I guess he's uh, got real ghost problems. Uh, hi, Brent. It's me again. I was reading a ghost story book, True Canadian Ghost Stories by author John Colombo. Oh, by the way, uh, folks, uh, that's a coincidence. John Colombo is actually going to be a guest here on September 10th. John Colombo, you can check all his books and uh, chapters, uh, True Canadian Ghost Stories, Eerie Canadian Ghost Stories. um He has even got a book out about specifically Ontario ghost stories. He's a a terrific writer, and I urge you to check out his books. Anyways, he will be here September 10th on Night Fright. Uh, I was reading a ghost story book and was quite into it. In this one story, the person was saying how she was always losing her notes all the time, and then they would mysteriously reappear a day or so later. Well, this one day, the same thing happened to me. I was getting ready to go to work, and I couldn't find my hairbrush anywhere. I undid the bed, pulled the bureau out, looked behind the bureau, checked all the places it should be. I even tore the bathroom apart. I looked everywhere for it. That night, I come home and told my husband, Andrew, that I could not find my hairbrush, giving him a look as if to ask him if he had used it. Uh-oh. Careful, Andrew. Andrew said he hadn't seen it. I believed him as he really has no use for a hairbrush anymore. Oh, nice, Lee. Very nice. But then later on, he jumps into bed, reaches under his butt, and pulls out the hairbrush. But as I have said, I ripped that bed apart, pulled the covers off, and it was not there. But then that night, it suddenly appeared. Thanks, Lee. Sounds like you've got a really haunted house there want to send us your address so we uh, stay away in case you put it up for sale? Okay, here's an email from Christine, and she's writing today from Montreal West, and this is a spooky, spooky story, she says, that happened when her husband was away on business. Ah, those business trips. Shortly before I was married, I had an experience with unexplained phenomena. I had recently moved into the apartment that I was going to share with my new husband. He was away on a business trip, and I was sleeping in the guest room. Sometime in the early morning, the sun was just beginning to shine through the curtains, I got the sensation of someone putting their arm around my shoulder in a reassuring hug. There was nothing threatening about the gesture, but seeing as I was supposed to be home alone, the idea that someone was with me set my heart pounding. Tell me about it, I would have been out of there in ten seconds. I cautiously got out of bed and checked all the doors and windows. They were all properly secured. The last time I experienced something ghostly was when my husband was once again away on business, he's got to stop doing that, and my first child was only an infant. It was in the early hours in the morning when I felt myself sinking into my mattress. It felt like someone was putting one of those leaded blankets that are used in the dentist office when x-rays are taken on me. I was alarmed and looked up. I could have sworn that I saw a shadowy figure... On the opposite wall near the door to my room, Oh my. I sat up and looked again. There was nothing there. I went to check on my child and checked to see that the apartment was secure. There was no way that someone could have come in, covered me, and left again without making any noise or coming in through a locked door. There you have it. Not particularly hair-raising, well, I don't know about that, but interesting just the same. I haven't had any more experiences like it, and now it's been over ten years.
2: You're listening to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: Okay. This is a story of a troubled spirit. And, um... It's uh, a story from a woman who used to live in a a working-class area in Montreal called Verdun. Now, what's unique about Verdun, Verdun's a working-class area, I guess, about uh, 125,000 people. And uh, during the Second World War, Verdun became famous because it had the most soldiers in the war per capita of any city in Canada. Uh, She writes, the houses date back to the late 1800s up to the 1950s and the email reads Hi Brent Good show Thank you Ghost Stories I don't know if this is what you will call it but here goes The very first house I owned in Verdun was a two-story brown brick building It was in a pleasant part of the street with a path in a small park directly across from us There was a high school directly behind our backyard and it was always full of kids laughing and chattering All in a positive place Nothing like a stereotypical haunted house with smoke and stuff losing out. Our bedroom was on the second floor, right at the top of the stairs to the left. Our bathroom was just outside our bedroom door, directly at the top and directly in front of the stairs. Anyone coming up the stairs could be heard and seen by anyone lying in bed by the time they were about halfway up. Now often, I was on my own. night, as Andrew, my husband, worked the rotating shift, another woman at home alone. Sometimes when I would be by myself sleeping, I would wake up to hear footsteps coming up the stairs towards me alone in the bedroom. I fully expected to see my husband, but then no one would be there. Oh, man. (laughs) On several occasions when I would wake up during the night to roll over, I would always see a man walk into our bathroom or catch a look at him coming up the stairs. This went on for quite a while, until finally I got up the courage to ask my next-door neighbor a little bit about the history of the house. The neighbor was a longtime resident of the street and recalled the original owner. He related a story that kind of gave me the creeps, though, not in a threatening or frightening way, more like a disturbing, this-really-happened way. He told me that the previous owner... Had lived there by himself and loved the place. It was his baby on the weekends, and he would do ongoing, turn the page, renovating, and upkeep. One night, he left to go out, but the weather was bad. Ah, tragically, he was in a horrific car crash and was killed instantly. What's weird is after I learned this, I never saw the man again. Weird, eh? Hmm. That's too bad. I guess the guy really liked being at home and, uh around and stuff okay that from Montreal again Brossard
2: you're listening to Night fright your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland.
1: I want to thank Peter Ackroyd for joining me tonight. I sincerely had a wonderful talk with him. Extremely extraordinary man. Extremely in-depth. Much appreciated, him coming on the show. In the meantime, next week on Brent Holland... And today on Brent Holland, I had Living History. Minnie Jean Brown, one of the original. Little Rock Nine. Next week, I've got Ephraim Ziroff, live from Jerusalem, Nazi hunter. Next week on Night Fright, we've got none other than Ghost Theory. These are uh, three fellas that have an online website. And they go around, um, as they say, we are not ghost hunters, nor are we a paranormal group. Writing and debunking for a true answer is what ghost theory is about. Join us. Very good website. It's very rare I have folks like this on, but these guys seem authentic and the real deal and they care about it. The week after that, Halifax haunts Steve Vernon. Finally going to get Steve Vernon on. We had some, supposed to be on a few weeks ago, but we had some um, conflicting problems in terms of um, scheduling. There's the word I was looking for. A week after that, one of my favorite guys, Jim Mars, will be here talking about the rise of the Fourth Reich. Got to tune in for that one. Then James Douglas, and then we're into 2012. That's going to be riveting. Lots of great stuff's coming up on Night Fright. I want to thank you once again for joining us tonight. My name is Brent Holland from Night Fright. My name is Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.
3: You're
2: listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio.
1: This is Peter telling a story when he was nine years old. It began as a typical seance, and as they were nearing the end of it, my grandmother had retreated to the kitchen to put the tea kettle on and place on the large tray the carrot cake she had baked in the afternoon. Walter suddenly rose from his chair and turned his back to the table. Still in the trance state, his actions smooth yet deliberate, he slowly raised one leg, and then the other, and knelt on the chair. Now, I should tell you, Walter was the channeler for this seance, facing backwards. When he spoke, his voice was shaking and just loud enough for the sitters to hear, and it sounded completely different from anything they had heard before. Steinmetz here. You will not succeed, the spirit said through Walter, who remained kneeling on the chair still facing away from the table around which the group was seated. The instrument you contemplate is not possible. Vibrations are too fine, too many. Ideal conversions of vibrations can never be created by those who remain on this plane. It was not until later that my father discovered who Steinmetz was. Carl Proteus Steinmetz. 1865, died in 1923. A Prussian-American mathematician and physicist who enlightened the world of engineering with his brilliant description of the alternating current, sounds like Tesla, enabling engineers to design electrical motors using applied mathematical calculations rather than by trial and error. Steinmetz had a mind like a steel trap, but his body was encumbered by a debilitating deformity that prevented him from sitting upright. He did most of his work are You ready for this, folks? While kneeling in his chair. From the book A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters by Peter H. Ackroyd, forward by Dan Ackroyd, available at chapters indigo. Right around the country. Also, just go to the Triple W Night Fright Show, the HUDCOM website, and click on the book cover. It'll take you right there. There's another great one from Zimbabwe here. Just let me read it here. And this was sent by S. Kuzga. Hello, Brent. It was late December in Zimbabwe towards Christmas time when all industrial workers have shut down for Christmas holiday. All immigrant workers will do shopping for their families back home in villages. My cousin bought some groceries and new clothes for his wife and kids to put on Christmas I guess he means tree here. He writes This time in southern Africa it will be raining and vegetation will be green, people, animals and plants will surely be in the festive mood. However, even though some will be celebrating, this is the time which ghosts will be very active. This is from Zimbabwe folks, by the way. They get attracted by the darkness and lightning. During this season, so in the village's peasants' farmers, they go and plant and grow their crops in some fields that will be a distance from home. This can be as much as five kilometers from the comfort of their home, so they ferry food that they will eat all day and then come back in the evening. Since it is the rain season, they also built some shacks, tents or shades that they can take shelter in when it is raining or eating at their meal breaks. These shades won't be destroyed until the end of the season. So, on this particular Friday night, my cousin was coming home from Harar, going back to his family and wife with his shopping. He did not have a car. On this night, the moon was not shining because there was a dark cloud and storm was raging at a distance coming towards the village. My cousin got off the bus and carried his shopping as he was approaching the fields. It started to rain heavily, and lightning was bad, so he decided to take shelter since he was no way near home. He went into the shade that their family had at their field. Now a witch stole a corpse at the nearby hospital morgue and was taking it where they will do their rituals and eat some parts of it the law there does not allow you to accuse someone to be a witch unless you have a strong and hard evidence. So the witch also took refuge in the same shade. Nobody knew that there was another person in the same shade. So lightning struck and there was a huge flash of light that simulated daylight. This is where the trouble started. The light was so bright that these two guys they saw each other and the witch panicked he thought the dead body he stole had come back to life and my cousin saw that there was someone in the shade and ran away he thought he could be robbed of his possessions and in worst case scenario he would be killed so he ran and ran and ran and the witch ran after him thinking that the man running was the body he had stolen he suddenly arrived at the house which was just by the road He banged the door and just walked in and could not say anything for 36 hours. He would not talk because of the shock and fury he had experienced. And until today, he does not walk in darkness. This is a true story. S. Kuzga. And that's from Zimbabwe. And just as an abridge to that, this next thing I'm about to read is from the BBC News. And it states that Zimbabwe has lifted a ban on the practice of Witchcraft repealing legislation dating back to colonial rule. Witchcraft is legal again in Zimbabwe.